You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Grab your Bible and join me in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. This morning we're going to begin a series um, that is the meta-narrative of redemptive history. Anybody know what a meta-narrative is? Meta meaning big, narrative meaning story. It is the big story uh, of human history. And it's important um, because um, it's important to get as big a view of history as you possibly can uh, because apart from it, things just don't seem to make sense, right? You just... um, you know, it's, it's the idea of if you grew up in a small town and you think, you know, the way that politics and romances and friendships and all that stuff, it's all, it's all small town stuff. It's not until you get to a bigger place, right, and you realize, you realize there are more people in this world, there are more relationships in this world, that your, your world gets bigger, right? It's why we always encourage teens and stuff, hey, go, go explore, go experience, right? Just broaden your, uh, your sense of understanding, broaden your sense of uh, culture and, and people and that kind of thing. And it's important for us to keep a meta-narrative of history um, as well. Uh, it was interesting, Preston had an assignment this, um, uh, that was due this last week that he started working on actually several weeks ago um, where he was supposed to do a research project on something, anything, uh, but it had to, be, had to be formulated around a, a question, right? A why, is it, why is this question was how it had to be. And, we were kind of in the rumblings of Ukraine and all the things that were going on with that. Uh, and so I made the suggestion to him. I said, hey, why don't you uh, do a research paper on, um, uh, on why or if uh, there are any lingering effects of the Cold War in present day world and present day stuff. And uh, I don't remember, was it the day? What, uh, the day I started writing. It was the day actually, and he'd done his research, and the day he started writing, Russia invades Ukraine, right? And it, so it's real time in the midst of it. He's, he's going like, man, they're giving me my citations, like as I go, you know, I'm just, you know, watching it as you're, you know, as you're going, right? But again, it's one of those things of why is it, why is it that we care? Why, why do we care what's going on in Ukraine? That's literally the other side of the planet. Uh, maybe you have. Uh, some ethnicity backgrounds or that kind of thing. But by and large, when you get up tomorrow morning and eat your breakfast and head off to work or head off to the, the clinic or head off to wherever it is that you're going to go, none of what is actually happening on the other side of the planet in that moment is going to directly affect your Monday morning. Right? Right now. <laughs> um, it sounds like when barge season comes and the fuel prices change, it may affect us a little bit, uh, a little bit more distinctly. But again, it is one of those things of why do we want to know it? Because there is a bigger story than just what is happening in Galena, right? We want to have a sense of better understanding of what is going on because if we don't, we end up being like Russia is right now that is isolated in their, their understanding, isolated in their information, and they don't have a full picture. They don't know what is actually going on. We are beginning the season of Lent uh, across Christianity as the lead up, the run into uh, Easter. And um, 
Uh, you know, I think it's a shame, honestly, in a lot of ways, we celebrate Christmas with significant more fanfare than we do Easter. Easter itself, generally, there might be some, uh, you know, maybe Easter egg hunts, or you might cook something special, and you got baskets and that kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, if you don't live in Alaska, where sunrise service isn't at like three in the morning, uh, maybe you might be in a place where they have a sunrise service, and you do those kind of things, right? But that's it. That's It's just kind of confined to that week, whereas I mean, everybody knows Christmas starts the day after Halloween, right? We all forget about Easter or Thanksgiving. I don't, but I'm just saying Walmart does, right? Um, uh, but I think it's going to be good for us as we uh, head into Easter. We're going to be heading into Easter with this broad picture, walking through Scripture, looking at the meta narrative of redemption, and not just uh, for for the information's sake, as though you might one day be uh, on. I think we got some guys that need to scoot, uh, helping some, helping with a clinic run. Uh, we want to be able to have a picture of redemptive history. Again, not so that we can win a Bible trivia you know, questionnaire or something like that. Um, but they're, they're uh, just so anybody knows, they're going to help with a stretcher uh, getting somebody out of, a, out of a house for a medevac. So it's been planned since before the, before the service. Um, odd things of small village church life. You know, it's just what it, it's just what it is, right? Uh, we want to know the, uh, the big picture, again, not just so that we have information, but we actually need to know how do we fit into this story. Because this Bible, it's the story of God, but whether you know it or not, you are in it. It speaks about the truth of who you are and what your story is. It's one of those things when you meet somebody, right? You know, like the first question anybody ever asks anybody is, you know, what do you do? We try to, you know, label people and that kind of thing. And a better question is something along the lines of, tell me your story, right? We want to actually know somebody. Where did they come from? How did they get to the place where they're at now? And all those kind of things. Um, and being able to identify in that story helps us relate and connect to them as well. Now, the story of us in the story of God begins in Genesis chapter 1. But if you notice, I told you to turn to Romans chapter 5. Um, and that's because we're going to take a different look at that creation story, at that event, specifically as it relates to our father Adam. Of course, you remember in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and formless, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. And God said, uh, let there be light, and there was light. And this creation story, this creation picture, culminates in this miraculous event where God says, let us make man in our own image. And the image of God, He created them, male and female. And then he brought them together and there was the first wedding and the initiation of the human race upon the planet. When God made man, he distinctly made man different from every other creature on the planet, unlike trees, unlike water buffalo, unlike amoebas and all those kind of things. And one of the most significant things of that is that uh, the most significant thing of that is he says, let us create man in our own image in a nature of 
Uh, the, the image of God, our triune God, is perfect love, perfect community, perfect relationship for all of eternity. And God made us to be in perfect love, perfect relationship, perfect unity, and perfect uh, harmony, not just with each other, but perfectly with Him. We were to be an image bearer, a reflection of God upon the earth. That you should look to mankind and be able to see as a mirror reflects the image of an object, you ought to be able to look at mankind and see an image reflection of the character and nature and love and reflection of God. And yet, we do know that that was a very short-lived period, right? And of course... uh, Oftentimes in that narrative, we place the blame squarely upon this lady named Eve who went and ate from this tree when she shouldn't have. But the Bible does not place the blame on Eve. It places the blame on Adam. Read with me in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned for until the law was in the world or sorry for until the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law nevertheless death reigned from adam to moses even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if the transgression of the one, or if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as though through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as in sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the Word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul, as he is writing this letter to the church in Rome, uh, has uh, in mind this creation story. The picture of Adam and Eve's sin. 
Now, of course, we know that this is this is like uh, you know children's Sunday school kind of felt board kind of material here, right? Like you got Adam, you got Eve. They both got you know like uh, pre-fall they're they're covered up by bushes, right? That's how that's a post-fall they're covered up by fig leaves. That's uh, the you know the picture of that. But they're walking around enjoying the fruit of God's labor, the fruit of God's garden that He literally placed them in a garden uh, that and just said tend to it and enjoy it and enjoy each other and enjoy fellowship with me and everything is great everything is wonderful everything is awesome and God says all of it is good but in the middle of the garden he puts that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he tells Adam you of any tree in the garden you shall eat except for the tree that is in the center of the garden for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die and apparently Adam told Eve after she was created, hey, tell you what, God said don't eat from that tree because if we eat from it, we will surely die. And she knew this to be true. And of course, you know, you got the whole serpent that comes in and he was more crafty than all the others and he comes to Eve, catches her off guard, and he said, did God really say... Uh, you know, that if you were to eat from this, that you would die. And she said, yes, if we eat of it or if we touch it, we will surely die. And he lies and says, you shall surely not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will be like Him, knowing good and evil. It's such an interesting thing because what did we say in Genesis chapter 1 was unique about how God created man and woman. Let us create man in our own image. And Satan says, God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you'll be like Him as though you're not already created in His image. You're less than God actually intends and you're less than you actually could be. And then the second side of that to me is pretty profound. He says, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, uh, you'll be like Him knowing good and evil. Do you know the only thing that we actually attained from that act was? Remember when God made stuff? And after He made stuff, what did He say immediately after He made stuff? This is good. This is good. This is good. And then He made man and woman and He said, this is very good. Right? The only thing that was not good pre-fall was when God said, it is not good that man should be alone, and He made for him a help meet. He made for him to be in relationship with another human being. And so, up until this moment, everything is good. Everything. And all they know is good. So what was it that they actually attained from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The only thing they attained was actually the knowledge of evil. Because all they knew before that was the knowledge of good. And in the midst of that rebellion, Eve is deceived. She takes of the, the fruit. She eats it. And then the Scriptures say that she turned to her husband who was with her. It's not like she took from the tree and had to go track Adam down and, hey, I found this random fruit here. You should take a bite, right, kind of thing. He's standing there. He knows what's going on. He's the one that heard God say it, and he did nothing. It's profound to me when you think about the nature of that act. It seems like such a simple thing, right? I mean, how in the world... Is God just in judging Adam and Eve so harshly for sneaking a snack, right? Our kids sneak snacks all the time. We don't kill them, right? 
we want to sometimes, but we don't. We don't do it, right? And so, uh, how is it that God is just in that? Well, Eve was deceived, and her eyes opened, and death reigned in her heart. But Adam had a different sin. See, I don't actually think that Adam's sin was actually eating the fruit. That was the culmination of it, if you will. But see, Adam had known God even before he knew Eve. And he had walked with God and he experienced the fullness of God. And Eve, who his literal word, when God brought her to him after, after her, she was fashioned from his rib, his literal response was a guttural whoa. She was incredible. And he loved her intensely. And she had just functionally killed herself. And Adam is now left with a conundrum. Do I choose God? Or do I choose Eve? And Adam's act of rebellion was not to eat a fruit. It was to say, God, I need something other than you more. And every sin that has ever been created, ever that has ever been created and, and done in human history is the exact same action. It is us looking at the God who loved us and formed us and made us. And either by sins of commission, acts that we do, or sins of omission where we do not do what we ought to do. Every time it is a response to God and saying, God, I need this more than I need you. Does that seem a little bit heavier than just a sense of like sin being naughty? That sin being, you know, just inappropriate or strange. It is a direct affront, a, a direct rebellion against the one person who loves us perfectly. And the consequences of sin are severe. He says in verse 12, therefore, as or just as through one man sin enters the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Sin has a way of taking us further than we want to go and costing us more than we want to pay. It's the image of uh, the... Have you ever seen the, the picture of, that depicts alcohol? It's the, the guy with the bottle. Uh, and as he's drinking it, there's a cork with a hook hanging in the bottle. And just if he tips it up just a little bit more, the hook's going to go in, and he's hooked. He's stuck. That's the picture of sin. Adam didn't know it. Adam didn't, in that moment, Adam, all Adam knew was what God had said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam didn't know that through that act of rebellion, that sin would enter the world and that death would also enter the world through sin. As Paul said in, uh, in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. And so, death spread to all men. How, do you, how many of you know that sin, regardless of how big or small it is, always affects more than just you? Do you know that all sin always affects
affects more people than just you. It's, it's one of those things we just justify in our own heart, in our own mind, what, you know, the, the, the lasting effects of sin. We always, you know, man, I'm not, I'm not that bad of a person. It doesn't affect anybody and nobody knows and all those kind of things. But it shifts the way our mind works, which then shifts the way that we interact with people. If it's a sin of the mind or if it's a sin of the body, it affects society around us. It always costs us more. But there's something deeper, something profound, something that is a part of the meta narrative of this that we need to grapple onto. And it's this wrestling that we have about our own nature of sin and the way in which uh, sin enters the world. He says specifically, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. There's a question in theology, and I think it's, a, it's an important one for us to wrestle with in, um, uh, in how we think about our place in God's story and our place within sin, the reason why we treasure and value the story of God's redemption above all things. And it's because of this statement, because all sinned. It's past tense. It's not present tense, all sin. It's pointing us all back to Adam. There are three main um, positions that have been historically held on this. There's what would be called the generalist principle of this. This is that in Adam, we learned what sin was... And so in that way, sin entered into the world as an idea, as a reality, as something that could be done. And so the fact that we look and we see that we sin, and the fact that we see that other people sin, we then assume that we, that is a learned behavior that was passed down to us from our forefathers. It is not something innate that is tied to them. Because it is our own that I have sinned and I learned how to sin because of my forebearers on that. The main problem of that uh, is emphasizing the point uh, that is saying then it would, should be possible to learn not to sin if that is the case. Uh, then it should be that we just need what we really need in society is just more information. We just need to teach people better. We just need to coach people better. We just need to help people better. If you're a parent, you can probably distinctly remember the first time that your child sinned. Right? And it was subtle, right? It was not, it was not, it was that moment where you're, you said, don't do it, and your child just kind of coyly looked at you and then did it anyways, right? If they knew an expletive, they would have said it in that moment as they were doing it, right? Like, forget you, Mom. I'm doing what I want to do. And you're going, I didn't teach you that, right? So where did that come from? This also presupposes the the challenge of other scriptural passages that would say uh, things like, for all have sinned. In other words, there is nobody that can't learn, that can learn not to do it, that can escape it. This first position was uh, actually officially classified as a heresy. Uh, this, the um, main proponent of that, a guy by the name of Arius, um, was a, a British 
uh, bishop who taught this. Uh, fun fact about this gentleman, he is the individual who St. Nicholas punched in the face at the Council of Nicaea because he denied uh, the, uh, the godness of Jesus. But in relationship to that, he said that there is no such thing as a sin nature. There is nothing that is tied to us in that. Uh, and we can just simply not do it. The challenge on this, obviously, is this goes in the face of reality. <laughs> right? Uh, when we think of sin, and we think of sin's effects on our lives, it leads us more to the second uh, position. And this is where most or a significant number of Christians have landed. Uh, and it is the position that this, because all sin is referring to Jesus's, or the, uh, uh, the reality that's, that Adam passed on to us, not just the information of sin, but a sin nature. Uh, a sin nature, as we are all familiar with it, is that propensity, that bend, that heart that draws us to sin. It's the reason why it would absolutely be stupid to have uh, an AA meeting in a bar, right? It just nobody, I mean, nobody would think that's a good idea. Why? Because everything in the heart of the addict is saying, I want what's behind the counter, right? And I'm going to do everything I can to try to get it. There's this bend that's in us. In this view, uh, it does not equate guilt. The fact that we have the ability to be able to sin does not equate guilt to us in and of itself. In fact, this sin nature is the reason why I actually do not believe in free will. I believe in modified free will or limited free will. In the sense of, when you woke up this morning, you got to pick out what clothes you were going to wear, right? You could have picked any number of things that you had. You picked out what you were going to eat. You picked out what time you went to bed or what movie you watched last night, right? Those are things that feel like, i got free will, I can pick what I want to do. But there are certain things that we cannot pick, right? Um, I cannot today pick or choose by my free will to be Vladimir Putin, right? I can't, I can't do that. Uh, I would be institutionalized if I said otherwise, right? I can't choose that. The also reality of this, the reason we know that sin nature does not give us a free will, is to simply say this, if you believe that you have completely free will, then just stop sinning. Just stop sinning. Never do it again. Never an envious thought, never a jealous thought, never a, gr- never a thought of greed, never a thought of lust. Never an unkind intention. Right? The moment we see that, the moment we think of that, then we actually do understand, I actually don't have free will. I have limited free will. The Bible says something along the lines of this. It says, we were slaves to sin. I don't know if you guys have studied anything about slavery, but slaves didn't have free will. They didn't get to pick what their life looked like. That's why Paul used that as a word. These weren't, you know, uh, I, I was a hired hand of slave, or of, of sin. You know, I got to pick whether or not, you know, what's the benefits of this sin system? And what's the, you know, do they have a better retirement plan over here? That's not the way that it worked, right? You were a slave to it. You were bought and owned by it. So this second one is this picture that 
what it is, what it is when he says that because all sinned is saying that uh, there was something passed on to us from Adam that then encapsulated our ability to be able to sin. But then the third view is actually the one that I think most closely relates to what uh, Paul teaches in this and what Jesus taught in this as well. And it's that in Adam, all sinned. That Adam's guilt counted towards all humanity. And the reason I believe that is that because this is what he says. He says, because all sinned, that death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. He's talking about the Mosaic law, the law that God gave to Moses. Uh, the, you know, the, the Ten Commandments and all the law and all of that information. It's a long time from Adam to Moses. And he says, uh, for until the law, sin was in the world. And how do we know that? Because death reigned. People died. He says, though he says a strange thing, he says, sin is not imputed when there is no law. And this is this question that we have of what exactly does that mean? What did it look like for sin pre Law. How does that play out? How does uh, uh, you know what? What did it look like for the Hebrews of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants and all of that time period, all pre uh, uh, God giving the law to Moses and Him giving it to the nation of Israel? And verse twenty gives us a little bit of an understanding of that. He says the law came in so that we would know how to fix it. No, he says, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Oftentimes when I talk to people about biblical history and and how we understand Old Testament and New Testament in our place and in all those kind of things, I'll ask the question, how were Old Testament people saved. Because we know they were. Scriptures tell us that they were. How do we know that, right? The Gospel is Jesus Christ, His life, death, burial, and resurrection, and the redemption that He brings to us in that. But that happened at a fixed point in history. What about those before that? And the most common answer that I get is, well, they were good Jews. They followed the law. And the Scripture says a funny thing. It says, by the law was no man justified. And right here, he says the law came so that the transgression would increase. What? This makes no sense, right? Paul says in another place, the law was like a schoolmaster to me. It revealed to me just how sinful I really am. He says, did the law become evil? No. But because when the law said, you shall not covet, all of a sudden I looked in my life and I saw all of this covetousness. Did the law make me covetous? No. Did the law make me be filled with lust? No. Did the law make me be filled with greed? No. What it did is it revealed to me God's standard, God's holiness, God's perfectness. And in me, all of my rebellion. 
I love the book of Romans and I love specifically the uh, uh, chapter 7 in the book of Romans because it's Paul, right? Like this guy that we put on the mountaintop of spiritual you know, holiness and stuff. And he goes on to say, this is towards the end of his life, he's, you know, he's a very mature follower of Jesus, and he says, the things that I want to do, those things I don't do. And the things that I hate, those things that I don't want to do, those are the very things that I run to. And then he says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? I don't know about you, and I hope this is true of you, that the longer you have walked with Jesus, the more you have come to know just how much you need Him. Like the day that you came to Jesus, it might have been a very dramatic event. There might have been something significant. There might have been tears and emotions and those kind of things. But in that moment, you just knew, apart from Him, I'm nothing. And I need a Savior. I need redemption. I need saving. And this is what I know. Just, Jesus loves me and He loves me even because of all my sins. So I'm, I'm trusting you, Jesus, right? But then day in and day out, as we walk with Him, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us, again, by His Word, by the teaching of uh, an example of other believers, and begins to unpack our lives, and we begin to see just how deep sin goes. When we talk about the sin of Adam, we always just go back to that little tree and that one bite, and it's this simple thing, right? But the sin of Adam, as he plays this out here for us, is he's trying to tell us sin is never simple. And it's never singular. It's pervasive. It touches all aspects of our life. It touches how we parent. It touches what our marriages looks like. It, t- it touches our work ethic. It touches how we spend our money or what we watch as we entertain ourselves. It touches the way that we uh, talk about world events or talk about our neighbor or talk about our family. Sin affects every aspect of our life. And so the longer that we walk with Jesus, the longer that we walk with Him, the reality of it is it becomes this truth. The law came in so that transgression would increase. It reveals more and more about who God is. But here's the miracle of this. The pervasiveness of sin that we get from Adam is that in Adam all sinned. His guilt is imputed to us. We say that's not fair. It's not fair. I didn't eat from the tree. If I'd have been there, I'd have, you know, I wouldn't eat from the tree. I'd have cut the head off the snake and ate it. Right? That's what. I, that's you know. That's that's how we want to respond to that. That's how we want to engage that. But the reality of it is, the old adage of fairness ended in the garden. And if that was the end of the meta narrative, what a bad story this would be, right? Man alive. If we just ended it there, therefore, just as through one man centered into the world, death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all men sinned. The end. Why is it that we celebrate the redemption of Christ so much? Because if there is no redemption, 
then friends, that is the end of the story. There is no meta-narrative. Putin's not a bad guy. It's just chemistry. It's just physics. There's no justice. All evil in the world isn't actually evil. It just is. Everything beautiful in the world, it just is. We are made, we live, and die, and there is no story. But the meta narrative of God's redemption is this that sin entered the world, and we know it without a fact that this world is full of it. And the longer that we walk with Christ, the more and more we know just how much it is in us. We don't become more haughty or arrogant or boastful or prideful. We become more and more in love with Jesus because we see just how much He loved us beyond. Because He says here, so in verse 18, so then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. That doesn't sound fair, right? We're hooked in with Adam. Through His one transgression, condemnation came to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And as he says, the law that... Uh, the law came so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace it abounded even more. So that in sin, so as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The incredible nature of Jesus is that before you had done any sinning. He knew all of it. He loved you perfectly. And He gave His life for you. Do you know Old Testament people are saved the exact same way that we are? By faith. They didn't have a name to attach that to. They didn't have an understanding. They knew that there was something future coming. And they rested all of their hope on Him. For us, we know Him. His name's Jesus. We celebrate the reality of His redemptive work every single Sunday. It is one thing for us to remember that we may celebrate Christmas for a whole month. We celebrate Easter all year long every Sunday as we gather to proclaim His goodness and His resurrection. That He has conquered our sin. That He has conquered our death. He took our death, the punishment that was due our sin and even Adam's sin in us upon Himself and paid the penalty of that sin that whoever by faith would trust in His righteousness... See, it's one of the reasons why I, I can't get away from this reality that Adam's sin is imputed, imparted to us. And we say that's not fair. Jesus imparting His righteousness to us, that's not fair either. That's not fair either. Which is why He calls it a gift. The free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God 
and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. As we think about the big story of God, we think about the beginning, we think of all the mess-ups. We think of Adam, and again we think, man, if I was there, I'd have fixed it, I'd have changed it, I'd have done something different. The reality is, no, you wouldn't. And the reality for us is if we were to go back, we all look back on different parts of our lives with regret. We wish that there were words that came out of our mouth that we could have sucked back in that they didn't do. We wish there were actions that we had done or not done that we would have changed and reversed. And the reality of all those things is God knew them. Where the world looks on you in judgment, God knew those things and looked on you with love and mercy and forgiveness. The meta narrative of God, the meta narrative of redemption, is that God knew even before Adam what your sin would look like. And from before He said, let there be light, God set about in His heart to redeem you for His good purposes. It blows my mind to think about the reality of conservation of mass and energy. Do you know when God made the earth, He put the iron particles in it that would one day be forged into nails that would pierce His Son's hands. He knew it. When He said, this is good, this is good, there was a moment coming where He said, this moment is going to be the most painful moment of human history. And I choose to do all of it. For His glory and for our good. This is the meta-narrative in this, friends, is one aspect of why we celebrate Easter. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the... The, uh, the reality that You tie us to something that is bigger than this story. God, there's little stories happening in our house. There's little stories happening in our school or in the district or in this village or in this region. There's little stories happening around this world. But God, in all of these things, there is a bigger story. We're all tied in it. It's the story of You and Your redemptive work. God, we experience sin every day. Our own sin and the sin of others as we're sinned against. Help us to fix our hope in Jesus. Help us to combat sin in this world because we know Jesus has the victory over it. God, we pray for big sins that affect lots and lots of people. I pray that Vladimir Putin would come to faith in you, repent of his sin, and be a transformed man. That's my hope, Lord, for him. But God, as I think about me, as I interact with Shell and my kids this week, there will be moments where I have the temptation to live as a dictator. And I can point all the fingers I want to at Vladimir Putin. But his sin is not unlike mine. It may affect more people. He needs Jesus just as much as I do need Jesus. Help us to live that kind of way, thinking differently about 
our sin and the sin of this world, living with hope. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.